So would you stand or remain standing as we hear the word of the Lord from Exodus 3, 1 through 12. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here I am. Then he said, Do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to, del to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now, behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, But I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Christy. It's always like, do I take the hand out of that? <clears throat> Listening to that passage, I was just struck by how crazy that story is. <laughs> I think when we read the Bible, it's easy to <clears throat> normalize things that aren't normal. Uh, if you came here expecting me to answer all the questions about the burning bush and God speaking, the door's right there. <laughs> in the nicest way possible. <clears throat> uh, this is week two of our series on hearing God, hearing the voice of God. Uh, the, the goal is to kind of do a little bit of a biblical overview of the voice of God tracing this thread throughout the scriptures. Um, we have six weeks now, this is week two. So if you haven't listened to week one, I would recommend going and listening to week one. Um, it is a little bit like when you get a new TV show that you like, you get the second episode, then you have to go back to the first episode, but still, I recommend going and listening to Josh's sermon from last week. Then we're going to take a break for Lent and have a couple other sermon series, and then over the summer, we're going to pick back up on this theme of hearing God. Uh, it's going to be a little bit more practically oriented. A lot of the questions that people have talked about with this series so far, like a lot of that will happen uh, over the summer, being able to talk about that. Last week, Josh started uh, his sermon with what he called the statio prayer. It's a time to stop. It's a time to pause. Um, and that's what we're going to do again today. So statio is this Latin word. I never took Latin. It didn't help me on the SATs. Didn't 
wasn't homeschooled or anything like that, but I looked it up and it means holy pause. Um, and so we're going to take about a minute to just settle in, to silence ourselves, silence our minds, our hearts. This will be our prayer time for today. I would encourage you to stop, just sit where you are, take a breath, <clears throat> and pay attention to what's happening inside of you. To help us with that, I'm going to have us offer you a breath prayer, that's what it's called. So we'll breathe in a phrase and then breathe back out a phrase. Um, and so if you would with me, you can breathe in the phrase, Lord who speaks, and then breathe back out, here I am. So if you need to close your eyes, if you need to get a little comfortable, go for it. I'm not going to talk for about a minute and let you just settle in. Let's pray. Lord who speaks, here we are. Amen. <clears throat> Whenever there's extended periods of silence, I, I always wonder if the person forgot or fell asleep or something like that. So I was awake the whole time. <clears throat> this theme of listening and hearing has been super fascinating for me. Over the past few years, I've really kind of looked into it a lot. It's been something I've been very curious about. Um, it's, it's met me in a good spot. I, I think I was ready for it. But it has me thinking about all the things that we listen to. I think we have a culture that loves to listen or to loves to have input. Uh, I've been listening to audiobooks like crazy recently. I, I know audiobooks have been a thing for a long time, but I just have recently started enjoying them. Um, I listen to, like I have like seven podcasts on rotation that I always listen to. Uh, I'm a fan of music. It's hard for me to just sit and the only thing that I do is listen to music, but I know many people love to do that. Jim and I have bonded recently a little bit over music. Um, it's more of a background thing for me. But I've just been struck by how we always like to have some type of input. We always like to listen to something. <clears throat> it makes sense in part because when we were kids, I don't know if you can remember this, but we were taught so many things about listening. Uh, I used to be a school teacher, kind of. And when you're teaching in a school, especially in elementary school, you're teaching kids lessons about how to listen all the time. Uh, a few that I thought of, well, um, one of them is the repeat after me. <laughs> if you're a teacher and, and, or a preschool teacher, perhaps, you, you say a phrase and say, repeat after me, and then they repeat it back to you to make sure that they're listening, to make sure that they understand the information. Um, some kids on the playground maybe would take it to a different direction about listening or hearing. It calls us the silent treatment when you, when you don't respond or you're, you're giving somebody the cold shoulder. Uh, one that I, I just have this vivid memory of when I was over at Matthews Elementary. In fourth grade, there's this thing that we did called shun and unshun. Shun and unshun. Shun, I'm not talking to you. Then I heard something that was interesting. Okay, unshun, now I'm talking to you. <clears throat> la, 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 I'm not listening. Remember that one? And my favorite, I'm going to try something here. My favorite. Hey, we all kind of learned that, didn't we? 
I think it's fascinating that we've learned so many lessons about hearing and listening, and yet so many of us are so bad at actually hearing and listening. With our spouses, with our friends, with our children, we are not good listeners. And this, certainly, this, this important skill that has been neglected by us applies to our relationship with God as we're trying to listen and discern his voice. If it's so important, why do we neglect it? I think there's a fear of what God may say or how God may say it. Many of us have the inability to actually hear or to know how to listen. I think a lot of us in our heart of hearts don't actually believe that God may be speaking right here, right now, or to me and to you. So today, uh, we're going to kind of keep tracking through the first five books of the Bible. That's the kind of parameters for today, the first five books. And we're going to talk about God who actually hears, God who speaks, than us becoming people who may be able to listen. So we have this post-fall Genesis 3 chaos that Josh kind of left us off at last week. And there's this, this section in Genesis, Genesis 4 through 11, that has a lot to say about what happens in a world where people don't listen, where people cannot hear the voice of God. Josh left us off with this, this great kind of thing to chew on and think about. To listen is to live, to not listen is to die. To listen is to live, to not listen is to die. For me, as I've thought about this, studied it a little bit, that's been such a crazy thing to think about. I, I never equated life and listening but it seems like that's what's happening here in the Bible. The story of the Bible, especially in this Genesis 4 through 11 gap here, is the story of humanity getting into this habit of rejecting the voice of God. We have Cain, who kills his brother Abel, says that his blood is crying out from the ground. We have the flood, where Noah's kind of this, this only figure that's really listening to God, but all these other people are not listening to God. And then what I think is the pinnacle here in the first section of Genesis of not listening is the Tower of Babel. How ironic is that? <clears throat> this is the place where every voice was heard except for the voice of God. Every voice was heard so much so it ended up being called Babel. Uh, humans were so proficient in communication that they actually did not need to listen to God. So God makes a bunch of languages and kind of everything scatters from there and this ironically goes on to be named Babel. Then in Genesis 12, we have God making his covenant with Abraham to make his family great, to make him have a lot of descendants. And so much happens here in this, this point in Genesis 12 all the way to Genesis 50. We have this huge kind of storyline following the family of Abraham. <clears throat> we get to his great-grandson. His name is Joseph. Many of you have heard of him. We did a series on Joseph's kind of family story arc uh, last summer, maybe two summers ago. I don't know. Time is crazy. But from Genesis 37 through 50, it's following Joseph's kind of storyline. And what happens to Joseph, he ends up in Egypt and he's sold off into Egypt and he kind of rises in influence and power in Egypt. But then there's a new leader in town who kind of forgets about Joseph, forgets about the family. And then all of a sudden, this is how the Israelites end up getting enslaved in Egypt. Later on in, in the book of Exodus, which we started off with today, we 
see that the Israelites have been in Egypt for quite a length of time. It says 430 years is how long they were in Egypt for. And many Israelites who were enslaved, enslaved people are, are, are wondering, where is God? What is God doing? Why isn't he speaking? Is he speaking? And that brings us to the burning bush, this crazy story that we read today that is easy to just make normal. But Moses is living his usual life. He's out in the field living a normal life. And then he just looks over and this bush is absolutely consumed by fire. I was reminded of, I've actually never seen the Prince of Egypt movie. Um, I, I was looking at some, I'm sorry, Tara, yeah. And Leah is very disappointed that I've never seen the Prince of Egypt as well. Uh, I think John Williams wrote the music for it, which is crazy, because I thought he was like the super famous guy. Anyways, it's, it's kind of a cool thing to think about. But I think I've seen this clip, either from the Prince of Egypt or something else, where the fire in the bush is blue. I don't know if that's accurate for the, Han says yes, that's from the Prince of Egypt. Uh, I, who knows? Like, what if you just look over and there's a blue fire in this bush or any kind of fire consuming a bush? You want to go check it out. And so that's what Moses did. And apparently this was God being present and making himself known to Moses. A couple things here that are curious about this story is, one, what's happening? <laughs> this bush is on fire. What could this mean? But really what I'm thinking about is why? Why did this happen? Why did God create this burning bush? There's a couple answers. <clears throat> this is from just a few verses before in chapter 2. This is Exodus 2, 24 and 25. And God heard their groaning, the Israelites who were enslaved. God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. And God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. So God heard, he remembered, he saw, he knew. Skip forward to our chapter, a few verses. This is Exodus 3, 7, and 8. This is after Moses and, and God have had a little bit of an interaction. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them out the land to, do, to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, so on and so on. God heard, God remembered, God was concerned. This is a really fascinating point in the story where we're asking the question of why is God speaking? And the answer for why is God speaking is because he hears. God speaks because he hears. God hears and has compassion. He made himself known to Moses because he cared deeply about Moses. Think about a world devoid of human interaction. There's been plenty of movies about this. Um, I've never seen I Am Legend, but I think that's about the last human to ever live. There's been different things like that, like Wally is kind of this dystopian cartoon type thing. There's been plenty of movies about this. I thought about uh, solitary confinement and what that does to humans. So it's known as the prison inside of prison or the prison of prison. It's where, and there's limits on this, it's where for at least 22, I think, hours a day, you're just kind of in this room all by yourself, no interaction with the outside world, no interaction with another human being. It's actually, it sounds really terrible. It sounds dehumanizing in a lot of ways, and that's why many countries like the United States have a limit on 
Somebody can only be in here for about two weeks before we have to get them out, and even that is probably way too long for them to be in there. Solitary confinement significantly increases the rate of anxiety, depression, um, the chances of a psychotic episode. It's just this terrible experience for a human being. Whatever reason they're in there for, it's a terrible experience. Uh, re recently, I saw this, this YouTuber who subjected himself willingly to a week of solitary confinement just to see what happened and probably to make money off of getting views on YouTube. But within hours, he was irritable. He lost track of time. He thought it was like the second day already and it had been three hours. He began talking to himself. He filled the lack of voice and noise and interaction and connection with his own voice. He just started speaking to himself. And I just started thinking about what our lives, devoid of the voice of God, are like. A bird's eye view, our life without God's voice, we're confused, it's often dark, broken. We fill our life with our own voices, other voices. In a way, it kind of does what solitary confinement does to prisoners. Confusion, upset, sad, isolated, we're prone to fill the perceived silence with our own voices. <clears throat> and the good news, that God sees this world without his voice, the good news is that this is where God meets us. God comes into this darkness. What does God do when things are chaotic and dark and broken? He places himself in the, in the center of that. The communication of God's presence is his voice. We're talking about God's voice and we'll define it somewhat in a couple different ways, but one of those ways is the communication of his own presence, the communication of himself. God saying, I'm here. It's good news because God is reestablishing his voice in our story and in our lives. God responds to brokenness and pain with his voice. The foundation of his voice to his people is in the first five books of the Bible and uh, throughout the rest of the story. And it brings us to this reality that God has this habit of reestablishing his voice over and over again, even the people who historically haven't listened. Let's read verses four through six in our passage. When the Lord saw that he turned aside, or when the Lord saw that he had turned aside, this is Moses, to see, Ooh, lost track. There it is. <clears throat> when the Lord saw that he had turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses, and he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you're standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, and he was afraid to look at God. This story is a miracle. God is speaking out of this fire in a bush. And I think we would be mistaken to think God's voice is only coming in these miraculous ways. It is miraculous in a sense that God is speaking to us, that the God of everything, the God of the universe, is deciding to speak to us. But to think that that only happens through a burning bush or something that we would equate as a miracle is, is wrong. God... Our, our experience of God's voice comes to us in very normal and natural ways often. 
Other places in these first five books where God is speaking, we have in Numbers 11, it's a parallel story for uh, an exodus. The Israelites are in the wilderness and God hears their grumbling, is this word, it's a very fascinating word to kind of study. Here's the grumbling of Israel and he spoke to them. He again spoke to Moses, but he spoke to them. And this is what happened when God spoke in this story. The Israelites were given food, manna and quail, that story. The Israelites were given food as a reminder that God is speaking and that God cares for them and that his, his, his voice has this sustaining power. God's voice provides food. Uh, a few chapters later in the book of Exodus, we have Exodus 20. Uh, this, again, under miraculous circumstances, Moses is given these tablets that has the Ten Commandments on them. And this is meant to capture and remember the voice of God. So God's voice is to be remembered and captured and cherished. This is the foundation of the Ten Commandments for what we call the law in the Old Testament. It's this section here in the Bible. Makes up the first five books generally is what we call it. And this is where God's voice is providing direction and instruction. Super fascinating. The law is this oral first and then written description meant to capture God's voice. And there's an emphasis here that God's voice, God's law is actually to be loved and obeyed, not something necessarily to be feared or scared of. Not to be despised, but to be cherished, to be hoped in. And there's this crazy psalm called Psalm 119, which talks all about this. It's, I've read it recently and it's a truly, truly remarkable psalm. It's by far the longest one. It's super unique. It kind of is placed here in the middle of the psalms and makes you wonder, what is this all about? And it's all about hoping and loving and cherishing the law of God, which is something that many of us uh, have bad associations with, hearing the law. <clears throat> the whole book of Leviticus, I got to take a class on this in seminary, which doesn't make me an expert, it just makes me even more confused about the book of Leviticus. It's the point where you usually stop reading your Bible in a year uh, story, <clears throat> if you're like me. But the book of Leviticus is this fascinating, fascinating account. And it's, it's kind of this small parts of narrative or story, but it's a lot of law. And it's about God reestablishing the ability for Israel to worship him, to be with him, and to become like him. And this is all God speaking to Israel. It's a fascinating, fascinating book. I'm supposed to stick in the first five books of the Bible, but I'd be remiss if I didn't mention how the book of John opens up. It's talking about entering darkness, the light going into the darkness. What is Jesus called? It's called the word, <laughs> voice, word. The Bible is full of examples of God speaking. The Bible itself is one of the many ways, one of the most clear ways to us of God speaking, actually. We're, we're, we've read the Bible, many of us have had it for a long time. It's very familiar to us, but the Bible itself we call it the word often, is a form of God speaking. It's beautiful. We live in a time in our world, a time and a place uh, where there's war, there's depression, there's uh, issues with social media, politics, where it, you may believe or have, I can see how somebody would believe that God actually isn't speaking. <laughs> The whole, like, God made the universe and then kind of just took his hands out and I'm not really involved anymore. Let's just let, let what happens, happens. 
Many of us have the loss of a loved one, have experienced poverty or know somebody who's experienced this. For many of us in this room, just the mundane nature of life, life kind of becomes boring and normal, lack of enjoyment. These are many reasons to believe that God actually isn't speaking into our life right now. We have all these signs that, well, God may not actually be here. I love our church because I think that our church, more than any other church that I've been part of, actually looks at these aspects of life, is, is not afraid to look at them or to kind of stare them down, and is willing to actually lament and be sad <laughs> that these are some of the realities that we have to deal with. Often in our prayer time, we're praying for Ukraine or Israel or these countries that are just completely war-torn. Or we confess every week the brokenness and darkness in our own selves. We're, we're celebrating Lent soon. Celebrating is an interesting word to talk about Lent. We're willing to look at the darkest parts of life and look for where God may be working and where he may redeem things. I have a, a fear is too strong of a word, but a concern, especially within myself and maybe for many of you, that we can be so trained to look at these things and hope for what God may be doing and miss what he may actually be saying and doing right here and right now. If we're so focused on the ultimate renewal of all things that God is making all things new, are we also ignoring his voice here right now? We can tend to forget that God is actually speaking order and goodness into the world as we're here. He does not do the silent treatment. God is active and speaking and he's looking for active listeners out of us. God wanted to speak to Moses so much that he did this burning bush and, and God also wants to speak to us. Each individual in this room, God wants to speak to you. I believe that most of us in theory would agree that God wants to speak or God wants to touch you, God wants to speak to you. <clears throat> he speaks today in many ways, but I think many of us are skeptical as to how God speaks, why God speaks, and actually if God does speak. At the very least, many of us are deeply confused about all those things. How God would speak, I don't know. But the good news for us today is that God actually wants to speak to you. He wants to speak to me. I feel compelled to mention a caveat about God's voice before we kind of close here. There are times and seasons in life where many of us have felt, where is God? God is silent. I've seen churches and books, sermon series or books written about like God being on mute or God being silent. And this is a, a reality that we have to kind of face, we have to deal with. It's, I don't want you to hear me say that, okay, God is speaking and you're grieving right now and, and wait a second, you don't understand the pain I'm going through. I'm not talking right now about what's happening when somebody is grieving or in acute pain or something like that. I think I'm just trying to say that in general, what God wants to do is speak to us. Whether it's because of events that have happened in the world, in us, to us, what we've been taught about who God is, what God does, many of us kind of grow in this belief that God does not actually hear our cries or wouldn't respond to them if he did. We're left with the question of does he speak into our pain? And throughout the story of Moses, throughout the history of Israel, the answer is a resounding yes. 
God does meet us in there and does speak to us in our pain. God saying, hey, I'm still here. Hey, are you listening? God wants you to hear him and is making efforts to do so. There's this book by a guy named Pete Grieg. It's this purple book. It's called How to Hear God. I think that's an audacious title for a book. Um, And that's certainly, uh, he, he covers a lot of topics in that book. It's become one of my favorite books, not because I necessarily full-heartedly agree with everything, but because he touches on so many things about hearing the voice of God that I was asking those same questions, or he, he's talking about it in a way that is very open and willing to listen. He has a list of ways that God has spoken throughout the history of the world, and, and here's a few. <clears throat> Jesus himself, the person of Jesus, the word, the Bible, prayer, This is where people start to get a little queasy. Prophecy, God's internal whisper, dreams and visions. And now this is where you're good again. Community, creation, culture. Some of these are very uncomfortable, but all of these God has used with the intention of communicating with his people. God wants to speak to people. He wants to speak with you. So what this leads us to is that we should become people who learn how to listen. And that's, the, that's one of the main goals of this sermon series of this whole year and the next sermon series, our discussions in our communities, is to grow in ourselves this ability to listen to the voice of God. One of the most important things that God wanted from Israel was for them to listen. And Israel's story oftentimes mirrors our stories incredibly, incredibly well. God is speaking, God wants us to listen, we need to position ourselves to hear. Moses did this in this actual story. I think it's a cool note, it's, it's easy to kind of gloss over. Starting in verse two. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. And he looked and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see him, God called out to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. In case you didn't connect the dots, that's where our breathing out came from in our prayer this morning. Here I am. Moses positioned himself to hear God's voice. It's a really hard thing to do often. Jesus was asked in the New Testament, hey, so which, which is the greatest commandment? All the law, which one's the greatest? And he answers in part with the first one being love God and love people with all of your being. When you read that passage where Jesus is quoting, it's in Deuteronomy 6, many of us are familiar with this, we call it the Shema. Listen to how this goes. Oh, Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words that I command you shall be on your heart. But it begins with hear. Hear, O Israel. Listen, O Israel. I think our hope this year is that we would grow in listening and attentiveness to what God's voice may be speaking to us. And 
that we would grow confident, not just that God is speaking, but how to actually position ourselves to listen to him. I'm not gonna try to solve all of those things today, but I wanna suggest a few things to close. Dallas Willard, another writer who, if you've gone to Redeemer probably just once before, you've heard Josh talk about. He has this fantastic book called Hearing God. Again, these audacious titles to these books. Uh, It's one of my personal favorite books because it was kind of at this point in my life when I read it that opened my eyes and really opened my ears to what God may be saying. There's this part in the book where he talks about four phases or four types of areas in our process of awareness of God and his presence and his voice. He starts off with this first one. It's called blind faith. It's this just baseline belief that God is here and God is speaking because God said that he is here and that he is speaking. It's the belief that God is here, blind faith. It's very real. It's a very legitimate way to operate and interact with God. Second one he talks about is sensing God's presence. Sometimes it's this overwhelming feeling, but often vague feeling that God is here, God is doing something. I'm not really sure what he's doing, but I think he's here. Often this happens in kind of our corporate settings or a worship setting. It can be very comforting, it can be very convicting, it can be very confusing, but I sense God may be doing something here. Then his third category is the God who acts. Is the movement of God where things happen and it's often unexplainable, but things are happening and God begins acting and he's doing things that we could, couldn't explain away or we couldn't take credit for ourselves. There's many stories about this, when, whether it's crazy conversion experiences or crazy healings or people's lives turning around. It's God doing this miraculous thing and the agent, the person there, can't really take credit for it. Willard here pauses and, and says, many people think that these are the three main ways of interacting with God. These can be, this can summarize all of our phases of interacting with God and his presence and his voice. But he says this, to stop now would be to omit what is the most important thing in the ongoing relationship between God and human beings. And he calls this the conversational relationship. This is God talking to you individually you talking to God individually. It's not merely robotic or vague, but it's this dynamic relationship. And it happens when you're in a relationship with somebody that you care about, that you trust, that they care about you, they trust you. They talk to you, you talk to them, and so on. In this section of his book, one of the most powerful things that Willard says is, why, if God is personal, would he not talk with us? Why wouldn't he? In these four phases, blind faith, sensing that God is acting, the God who acts, and conversational relationship, I believe that we fluctuate between all of these. Many of us may be on one at one point in our life and move to another. I don't necessarily think it's always linear. I think we can kind of ebb and flow. But I'll pose you with a question, whether it's those four categories or not. Where are you right now in relation to the voice of God? Are you open to the voice of God? Are you closed? Are you confused? 
I believe one way forward is the way of self-reflection, which seems very on-brand at Redeemer. But one way forward is to ask ourselves a few diagnostic questions about the voice of God. Consider what stories you've been told about God, his voice, or what stories you've actually experienced. What's been most impactful for you when it comes to the voice of God? I have two things that come to mind. One is maybe a negative. It has negatively formed my view of God's voice. A buddy of mine in college, he was very interested in this girl from back home. And he was going to move across the country because he said, God is telling me to marry this girl. So he moves back. They broke up after like two weeks. I met her. I thought this was going to be one of my best friend's wives and they broke up right away. But God told him to do that. That's a confusing story. (laughs) A positive experience that I had around that time, I was walking to the bus stop at my college and it was a particularly sad time in my life and I was walking to the bus stop and I kind of was just paralyzed. I stopped and I had this, what I would say, the still small voice, just leave a very firm and strong impression on me. And God said, I love you. Simply put, I love you. And I was, I was stopped right there, just in that moment. And that carried me. That carried me for a really long time. God just stopping and saying, I love you. So I'm left with these two stories wondering, what the heck does this mean? Where is God? What is he doing? How is he speaking? What would he say if he were to speak? Our lives are timelines. And I want you to consider along your timeline, what are the defining moments regarding the voice of God? Has God's voice been something that's brought you comfort and direction? Have you heard people use God's voice in a manipulative or a weaponizing way? Has God's voice been a balm for you where you were at? Or has it been used to meet demands? Are you just utterly confused about the voice of God? I ask you this week to just consider the stories, the, the things that you've been told about God's voice, the things you've experienced about God's voice. And just sit there, sit in that tension. The tension of my friend who moved for a girl and they broke up, and the tension of God saying he loved me. How do those things fit together? I believe that you have those stories as well. God is speaking. How can we listen? Let's pray. Father, you speak to us, and that's a gift. We often miss it, but we want to be people who are aware of your voice. We want to listen. And God, we want to sit and suffer with those who completely feel a lack of your voice. Help us to hear you, God. In Christ, amen.